this podcast deals with the uh, with the difficulty of communication and organization of how things are supposed to work and then how they really work. But uh, it's it's a well, there were two ports that we used basically are two sides of the country, the east and the west. The west coast was in Chongjin where we had unloaded the first two ships. The second two ships came up on the east side of the country uh, and uh, in Chongjin. And that was a difficulty because uh, we had to travel over there. I had to go over and, and uh, stay in a guest house, as they call it, and uh, take care of unloading and distributing the, the corn that was coming in on that, uh, on that uh, side. Well, as we worked, working on the Northeast Coast had its difficulties, especially with communication. Oh, goodness. We worked out an understanding and distribution plan for the port of Chongjin and for the ship Overseas Harriet, which had come in. But when I arrived at the port today after a two-day train ride, <laughs> we spent a lot of time stalled because electricity failed as electric train. Well, the corn was being unloaded from the ship. It's being bagged and loaded on everything with wheels and shipped out. They had not received any notice of our distribution plan. So without any authority, they were hauling it away. I called Pyongyang and explained the problem. They informed me that a new plan had been developed and only 8,000 metric tons were to be unloaded at Chongjin. Folks, this was a big problem. The ship had already popped the hatches. That means they've opened the grain storage bins or the holes of the ship for the unloading of the original 14,000 metric tons. These holes are filled with corn in New Orleans. The hatches, the hatch covers were hermetically sealed and dehumidified the, uh, the hole. And uh, if moisture gets into the holes with the corn, it would mildew or rot and need to be dumped overboard as useless. To change the unloaded orders now meant to do a whole lot of laborious, tedious work, intensive things like how to balance the ship fore and aft, stabilizing the cargo, which is corn. And corn acts like water in rough seas. It can shift, causing a ship to turn over, to capsize. This necessitated initiating a very complicated maneuver requiring running a computer program full of calculations. I am getting an education, I guarantee. So I motored out to the ship with a prayer for a merciful, sympathetic Christian captain. The ship was securely anchored by four anchors. The ship had too deep a draft to get to the dock. It was having to be offloaded on the barges. But each anchor was evenly spaced, rock solid, no movements. It looked like a drawing board picture, I thought. Oh boy. Ooh, this looks like we've got a German captain anchored. Anchoring this ship it's with such precision. If he is a German captain, he's probably an atheist, and I'm in for a hard time. I went on board and met the captain. Hubert von Redberg, born in Gdansk, Germany. <laughs> then, oh, then Poland took it. Then the Russians took it, 
Then he escaped to Kaiserslautern in Germany. Then he immigrated to France and to the U.S. He owns property in Port Arthur, Texas, just 20 miles from my hometown. He has a Texas driver's license, and they don't mess with Texas bumper sticker on his cabin door. He was a rugged, stocky, 62-year-old barnacle, if I ever saw one. I told him of the problem of the 8,000 versus the 14,000 metric tons. He scowled and grunted. I will do whatever is necessary to discharge this corn, but I will not compromise the safety of this ship or this crew. This is complicated. Let me consider it. <laughs> well, he and his first mate went to his quarters, and 45 minutes later, I ventured up there. I knocked and asked for permission to enter his quarters. He looked a little surprised. He said, yeah, come in. I think if we discharge 10,600 metric tons, we can move the ship safely and enter the next port where there's a eight and a half meters of water. I thanked him and he said, come, I want to sit and talk to you. Well, I did and I apologized for the problem, which was not my doing, but the FDR, the federal, the, uh, oh my, the, uh, the, the, the company that I was keeping with the uh, Flood Damage Rehabilitation Committee, and they were the ones making all the judgment calls, so I had to trust them and take the, take the blame. He told me it was okay and said, let me tell you how I operate as a man, a captain, and I operate this ship. He reached for a framed statement. It read, Thoughts and Conclusions by Captain H. Von Redberg. He quote, Life without accepting the existence of God is like the mist of a mirage lacking reality and purpose. I believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity. All my decisions turning a vessel under my command and the crew thereof are based on this belief. As for myself, I am only human. And should I fail your expectations, don't blame God for my inadequacies. Every day, on which we cannot do something positive, and it may be only a word of praise or encouragement to another person, it is a day lost in our lives. To be wise is having the ability to listen carefully enough to hear God's advice. He said, you are truly wise when you cease trying to understand our Creator or to reason with Him, conceding humbly not to comprehend God and his dimensions. He's bigger than we could ever imagine. Defamation is a weak person's mode of acknowledging and paying tribute to feared competition. Greed generates gullibility. I am strong with endless resources through a firm belief and trust in God, an untiring willingness to work, and a fierce loyalty to my super superiors. At my enemies, I smile with amusement. How entertaining are their impotent rages as, they, as their predictable behavior makes them vulnerable. <laughs> Don't they know that hatred only hurts the hater? He went on to say in the document, When you are impressed by a position that you are holding, you are not providing the substance to fill it. There is no substitute for character. 
A person's disposition and outlook on life is a matter of choice. When looking for beauty, you'll always find it. Although the negatives may ever be present, and sometimes overwhelmingly so, well, end of physical life or death could mean ultimate liberation for an all-fulfilling communion with our God or unification with only true life. When you are content and sure of yourself, your knowledge and abilities, you will find no need to impress others. Greed and lack of ability to compete are the roots of most crimes. Signed, Captain Hubert von Rettberg. Sweetheart, when I read that, I was blown away. This crusty old sea dog is a seagoing David, a rough-cut old sailor with a heart for God and a man after God's own heart. For three-plus hours, I listened to stories of God's guidance, divine intervention, walking with God on the bridge of the ship, of going against Navy orders to change course to avoid a typhoon, yet to miss the typhoon entirely, and the Navy's orders would have put him in the middle of it where it moved. The naval officer at the storm center forecaster confronted him when he came ashore and said, How did you do it? I have all the radar, hurricane spotter airplanes. I have reports and weather maps. You're at sea with none of this. Yet you changed your course two days before I could have predicted where to go to avoid the storm. How did you do it? The captain replied, I pray each morning and each night for God to determine my course. When the orders came, I left the bridge. I went to my sleeping quarters and I prayed, God, what would you have me do? This is beyond me. Then I gave God control of my mind and he told me where to go. The weatherman was so impressed that eventually, when he retired from the service, he became a, a Baptist pastor. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. Well, I had to leave at 2 p.m. As he was telling me about the, the cross on the bulkhead, uh, the, on the bulkhead of the bridge, so when people ask about my success, I point to the cross and tell them it's not me. I owe it all to him. I had prayer with him before I left, and he wept. We wept. As I left, he gave me a copy of Luther's Morning and Evening Prayers. As that's, as that's a Catholic praying a Lutheran prayer. And I shared with him a copy of St. Patrick's prayer. Here's a Baptist praying a Catholic prayer. Oh Lord, what is this world coming to? Oh, I pray it's coming to you. Oh, that's what I pray, Lord, it's coming to you. Other than that, sugar, it's just a normal day on the waterfront in the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea. Yeah, <laughs> you betcha. Whew. What a God we serve. Well, before I left, I went into the uh, galley, the kitchen. I had two big cups of coffee with milk, first milk in two months, and two donuts, and a bowl of chicken gumbo, and a half a baked chicken for lunch with biscuits and honey. Ooh, oh Lord, what a wonderful day you gave me. Burp. <laughs> I said that was my, my tummy saying amen. Oh dear Lord, please give me until November. I need 21 more days than they expected. That's three sevens, Lord. Glorify yourself as in the Psalms, in Psalm 2. I prayed, 
I just finished supper. Only a bottle of spring water. Trying to apologize to my body for the abuse it took at lunch today. Now I go to the Word, and I went to the Word, and I prayed, and I read the scriptures, and God guided me. On to the next day. It's amazing what God does when you're walking with Him, and you listen to Him before you move. God bless you. Have a great day. This podcast keys off of the previous podcast about working with the people on the uh, crew of the Overseas Harriet. Uh, one of the great things about being a Christian is the instantaneous connection you make when you meet a stranger who's a believer. They're no longer strangers, but they're brothers in Christ. The events on the motor vessel Overseas Harriet illustrated uh, this fact. It was so, uh, it was so wonderful because I had been rather, rather lonely and lonesome, and was having some downtime. But God sent those to help me. Uh, my guide was to park me on the ship at my Korean, uh, my Korean monitor, my, uh, <laughs> my. My minder, as we call him, he was so glad to park me on the ship because he knew that I was in a safe place where I couldn't wander off and get into trouble. And he, he needed the break to get away from me. Oh my goodness, I got there for lunch. Took a lot of planning, but sloppy joes, onion rings, fried okra and tomatoes, pecan pie for chaser with ice water. Oh, it really had ice in it. First ice I've seen in two months. Oh, by the way, the bagging machine had broken down a while ago. This is a holiday in the this republic, and no one uh, wants to do it, fix it, and nothing wants to be done today. So I, I collect my information from the court report. I do some faxing at the hotel and line up and line. The line only goes to Pyongyang. I went back to the ship at 3 p.m. And the captain was still glad to see me. He shared his testimony of how he became a Christian. When he was a Mercedes mechanic in California, he was machining a part for a car which gave him 20 minutes of unoccupied time. He picked up a Reader's Digest and read a story about Jesus. He was so impressed that he decided, wow, if Jesus was just that good, and not the Son of God, he would be worth following. He said, I bowed my head and prayed, and the Holy Spirit made his presence known in my heart. My sins were forgiven, and John, I was a new man. Then he found out that I'd been a mechanic, and we were both from aristocratic families in, from Europe. Mine was from France, the uh, De La Nue de Vere family, and uh, his was from Germany and was von Rettberg, which is a, uh, is a, um, a high score on the chart of uh, aristocrats. And we both had Rottweiler dogs. We both had experience with the sea. We both knew ships. 
we both are Christians and we both pray a lot, and we may be soulmates. Praise God. He insisted I stay for dinner. <laughs> I did. Oh, it was sirloin steak and baked potatoes. It was absolute heaven. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the crew and the American food on board the motor vessel overseas Harriet. And this vignette's an example. The captain had an amazing effect on the atmosphere of the ship's crew. His faith in Christ was key to his relationship to his crew and their faith. The whole ship had a spiritual cover over it. God had been orchestrating these contacts, the meetings with believers, at my most lonesome moments. The delightful, uplifting dietary change and the encouragement I was to the crew of the ship Oh, God was truly at work in them and in me. They were concerned, though, about the use of the cargo they were delivering, the fact that I'd be monitoring the delivery and get it to the hungry people and not to the military. That was a comfort to them. They were so concerned they didn't want to help the military. Well, my fellowship with their captain, my camaraderie with the crew, my prayers for them and with them <laughs> were a solidifying factor and a sense of having a joint mission. I even had the Italian stallion, Fred, under conviction. He said, my God, Dr. John, are you a priest? I said, Baptist preacher. In his Bronx accent, he said, man, I don't care. I'm a Catholic and I'm gonna call you fodder. That's all title I got that fits you. Would you hear my confession? The steward of the fifth African-American said, man, He's a Baptist. You don't confess to him. You confess to Jesus. Man, he's the one to get you straight. <laughs> Fred said, look, I've been sort of sinful, you know. You know what I mean? If this ship sinks or gets blown out of the water, I don't want to talk about this with a big man upstairs. I want it out of the way. Well, <laughs> one, of the, one of the fellows said, if you're going to hear his confession, Dr. John, you better give her an easy chair and a lunch and something to drink, but that's going to take you all day. I talked to him at length, and he did confess his sin. I told him that I'd pray for him, and I did. He was grateful for my prayer, but would not pray with me a prayer for his salvation. Well, God's working on him in a big way. Maybe the captain will be able to finish the job. One old seaman from Lake Charles, Louisiana said, Dr. John, I'm telling you, uh, it's such a pleasure to find a Christian here in this place. And what a comfort it gives us to know that we'll be prayed for as we continue to work. Well, uh, what a bunch. It certainly did bring back some memories of my work with Geophysical Services Incorporated in the Gulf of Mexico and the crew of my ship. I was the powder monkey. Uh, we had to shoot a 50-pound can of dynamite on every mile intersection. My job was to rig it, put the balloons on it so it only goes down four feet, a 50-pound can of dynamite. I'd take a hammer and chisel, knock a hole in the side so in case it didn't fire, the seawater would ruin it and it wouldn't be just a floating mine out there. Well, I tell you what, they reminded me so much of, of the crew of my ship. When I got to the dock, I looked up to see the captain waving at me from the rail. We exchanged salutes, and they left.
Oh, God is so good. What a relief, what a blessing they were. And what a tremendous, tremendous blessing they were. Well, when I got off the ship, my minder uh, met me. He and I enjoyed a good relationship. When he discovered I was eager to help him with his English vocabulary, his grammar and American slang, he was so eager to learn and had a brilliant mind. It was a pleasure to do it. It was my main recreation since I was an English major in college and a Spanish minor. Today, after the ship, I am spiritually up. I have seen God at work. My guide, for whom I have gained respect and esteem, came into my room and said, I'm lonesome, can we visit? It was followed by over two hours of dialogue. The lights were out for two hours also. I got my candles out and lit one. He said, Dr. John, you are an exact man. He meant that I was prepared. A dedicated and scrupulous picky and several other things go into that statement. So you always need to think of the context of the situation before you attach any meaning to their vocabulary. It's not always accurate. One day he interrupted my prayer time and said, Dr. John, you are an exact man. You really believe your religion. You pray and read your book as much as Billy Graham did when he was here. Actually, Mr. John, you pray more than Billy Graham did when he was here. What he did not know was I was on my knees at night. I'd pray on my knees by my bed. And sometimes I'd go to sleep, still on my knees, still my head on the bed. And I was sleeping part of the time he thought I was praying. Well, uh, he believes that religion is from man's mind. He gave the exact argument every atheistic humanist gives. And uh, he still prayed for it. One day, he may get it. Well, God bless you. And may you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you.